Yo, welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of Painting the Corners podcast. With me, as always, is Johnny Neenstead. I'm Logan Parker. Starting this one off a little bit different today with me doing the introduction, and that is because we're going to do a little bit different type of episode today where I will be interviewing Johnny on an exciting day that he had recently. Um, Johnny got a distinct opportunity to be executive for the day with, for the San Diego Padres. Um, he got to tour the entire front office, and we're going to get into more of the specifics as a, as this episode moves along. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into this one. Alrighty, so Johnny, can you just kind of let the viewers know how this even came to be? Yeah, so it was a uh, it was an item on the Padres broadcast auction that they ran earlier in the year. Um, they put a bunch of stuff up for uh, auction, some memorabilia, um, experiences with former players, current players, etc. Um, and this, the executive for a day opportunity, and I did not actually see it i wasn't really paying close attention to the auction but my parents saw it and uh, thought i would love it the uh, description on the on the broadcast auction said give your college student a rare look inside the business of a professional baseball team when he or she spends a day shadowing various various business executives within the san diego padres organization beginning at 9 a.m at petco park your up-and-coming professional will see firsthand the operations of the padres front office throughout a full day and evening if the padres have a game that night so obviously for someone like me or Logan, um, this is a, an awesome, awesome opportunity. So I'm very glad that my parents uh, stepped up and got that for me. We scheduled it for September 6th, this past Tuesday, a uh, game against the Diamondbacks that night. And uh, yeah, all the funds from the broadcast auction went to the Padres Foundation, which is obviously a great cause. They do lots of great work in the community here in San Diego. That is fantastic. So then my question for you is who did you connect with when you first got there? Who kind of showed you around and, and who'd you start with? So Bill Johnston is a member of the Padres Community Relations Department. He's uh, basically the co-VP of Community Relations with Tom Seidler, who's the brother of Padres majority owner Peter Seidler. And so Bill was the guy that emailed me first of all when my parents bought the this package and he also was the one that I met first so I showed up at the Padres main lobby the front office lobby kind of on the first base side down some steps at Petco I showed up there at 10 30 and he took me to his office and first thing he did was, well, like I, we introduced each other you know I, I talked a bit about myself mentioned the podcast um, and he showed me around the front office and all the departments therein. So, you know, we think of baseball, you know, kind of in a vacuum as like, oh, you know, they do some scouting and they do some player development and they do some analytics, but it's a lot bigger than that, especially when you consider that they're also running an entire stadium, which houses 40,000 people every night. And there's a lot of logistics that go into that. So, you know, there's like an IT department, which is in charge of all the Wi-Fi, making sure the Wi-Fi is good, making sure all the cellular is good, making sure, you know, there's no hacking issues or fraudulent tickets, stuff like that. So there's a big IT department. There's a huge ballpark operations department. Lots of stuff that they do. Can't even get into everything there. Concession stands, um, ballpark security lots of stuff that they do just a lot of departments that you you know you wouldn't really think of just because it's all behind the scenes stuff that that fans don't notice because it's all there to just help make the fan experience good uh, but of course he did show me around the actual baseball ops kind of um, areas as well so I um, got to walk past the assistant GM's offices Josh Stein and Fred Ullman GM's office, AJ Preller. Um, I saw the owner's offices uh, for Peter Seidler. I saw um, 
the analytics department offices. Lots of um, good work there. Obviously, we'll get into more of that later. Uh, I got the, I actually got the chance to speak with assistant GM Josh Stein during the game. So I'll be sure to tell you guys about that later, but kind of continuing in chronological order. And so, yeah, Bill, for the first uh, half hour or so, just kind of showed me around all the different offices in the Padres front office. And it's a pretty big space. I mean, let me tell you, it's it's two floors kind of under the right field half of Petco Park. And there's a lot of offices and a lot of cubicles in there with a lot of people doing work. And actually, I got to say, it was a lot more, um, I don't know, how should I say it, like fan-ish than I expected. There was just, you know, Padres memorabilia all over the place, murals on the walls. They got TVs everywhere with MLB Network on or old Padres games on. Um, everybody's got Padres stuff on their desk. So it was it was a cool environment for sure. That's really, really cool. I know I, I would personally say that I envisioned it um, almost Moneyball movie-esque, where it's just, you know, some walls and they're so serious about the business side of things and making sure that they got the, you know, analytics and the money and all that sort of thing that, you know, who cares about fanship, but it's pretty cool to hear that they are like that. So once you kind of got through seeing all of that and kind of toured around those those two stories of, of offices and whatnot, where did you go next? Did you did you get to meet someone new, or was he kind of following you the whole day? Yeah, so after that, Bill had handed me off to the head of the IT department, Ray Chan, and he's a cool dude. He showed me, he basically took me on a wider tour of Petco, but we started in the offices. He showed me, um, right next to his office is the main IT room, and so as many of you know, the 2016 All-Star Game was held at Petco Park. And as you could probably imagine, that's an IT nightmare. I mean, there's tons of fans in the building, tons of fans, you know, watching online and on TV. And so obviously it's a it's a huge event and security has to be top notch. So he said in this room that we were standing in at the time, he said he had members of the FBI, the NSA and the CIA all there doing surveillance you know, um, face recognition, making sure there's no, you know, known terrorists in the ballpark, um, stuff like that, making sure there's no hacking going on. Um, it was really cool. You know, they have four big TVs there that they can monitor the network status and other stuff. And, um, that was really awesome. He also said that the ballpark has about 500 terabytes of data of, because, you know, obviously they store lots of stats and stuff like that, but the big killer is video and especially the high resolution video that all teams record in nowadays. Um, that 4K video is is huge data, huge just file sizes. So yeah, 500 terabytes of storage. I, I thought that was pretty wild. Well, that is quite amazing to even consider that uh, that amount of video that they must have. And you know, you also kind of begs the question of how long do they hold on to these videos? Because, you know, a guy is obviously going to retire at some point, but do they keep that video just in case? And I don't know, I just, it's very interesting. And I'm and thinking about the amount of people that they scout and, and have to deal with. And, you know, when they make these trades and you look back at, you know, this is sore subject, but the Fernando Tatis Jr. trade back in the day, right? Like they have to have video on, I'm sure a lot of guys like that too. So when you really think about it, that sort of storage space is probably necessary. So when you're getting toured around by uh, Mr. Chan, are are you seeing a lot of people doing their jobs when you're walking through these buildings, or are they just kind of empty right now and and you know people are scattered throughout? Um, well, first of all, let me answer your question, kind of that you posed about the videos. They they do have a lot of cloud storage as well. And I don't think that was included in the 500 terabytes because, well, first of all, a lot of the data is stored by MLB. You know, the, the MLB film room database that they launched a few years ago. Um, I think a lot of the video uh, is stored at MLB headquarters rather than, than at Petco Park or any of the ballparks. But yeah, as you said, there's lots and lots and lots of video um, from games, from scouting, 
everything else uh, that has to be stored at the ballpark. As for uh, walking around seeing people, it was pretty early in the day, still about like 11, 11, 15, you know, for a 640 game. So there weren't that many people. And also keep in mind, it was a night game the previous night. So people hadn't gotten off work until probably 10, 11 at night. So a lot of people weren't in yet, but I definitely saw plenty of people in the office as well. Didn't see any players yet. Uh, we did tour uh, around, we, we toured all around the ballpark, but one of the stops was at the player's parking lot and there were only a few cars in there. Not really many people had arrived yet. It was actually right next to the player's parking lot though, where the cell stations are at. So you might not think of it, but having 50,000, 40,000 people in and around the ballpark, you got to have a lot of cell coverage to you know make sure everybody's phones are still connected so all three of the major providers verizon at&t and t-mobile all have little cell rooms in the bowels of petco park that um you know distribute their cell service around the ballpark so i got to see those rooms that's pretty cool i mean they don't really look like anything they're just a bunch of wires and computers and big things making lots of noise (laughs) but um it was interesting to see uh you know how much work goes into that keeping it all all connected um yeah we went all around the ballpark obviously i know the ballpark pretty well having had season tickets for so long going to 10 or 15 games every year Uh, we went through the western metal building we went up to the broadcast booth i got a picture in uh, in mud's chair Mark Grant's chair, that was pretty cool. Uh, Right next to the broadcast room is the scoreboard control room. That was pretty cool. Ray said that there were about three dozen people that control the scoreboard at any given time. And, you know, if you know Petco Park, it's got obviously the big, huge scoreboard in left field. There's also a secondary scoreboard in right field and lots of ribbon scoreboards um, around the, the second deck, the facade of the second deck. So obviously a lot going on there. Got to have really good coordination to make sure that is going well at all times and making sure the fans just see a seamless, nice scoreboard. Um, Yeah, and then also down by the team store. um, The team store at Petco Park is in the floor, the ground floor of the Western Metal Supply Company building. So right by the left field corner. And actually there's a cool little patio that you can rent out that's right um, the seats are, are right at the left field corner. Uh, so he took me down there and um, he was kind of just uh, talking about the scoreboard some more. And he said, when we, the Padres, that is, when they were recruiting Shohei Otani back in the 2017-18 offseason, obviously he was an extremely sought after player even then before we knew what he could do in MLB. Um, but apparently Otani's a big video game guy. So when the Padres were planning on, you know, making their presentation to him, trying to woo him into San Diego, somebody from the front office, uh, I don't know if it was maybe Eric Gruppner, uh, or even maybe even the owner at that time, Ron Fowler. I don't know, but somebody came up to Ray and said, hey, we need you to get the PlayStation up on the scoreboard in center field because Otani is a big video game guy and he would get a kick out of that. And so Ray said that he went behind home plate to the uh, media jacks that they have there, the outputs uh, and input cables. And he said he brought the the PS4 at the time onto the, onto the field right behind home plate and plugged it in. And he was playing mad and he was playing, it'll be the show on the big screen. Uh, He said Austin Hedges came out and played with him for a little bit. But unfortunately, that was the day that Otani signed with the Angels, so he never actually made it down to Petco Park. But uh, I thought that was a cool story for sure. Wow, that is kind of incredible, and it you know begs to to ask the question: you know, what if we got that extra day? Maybe Otani would be a Padre because we put. Yeah, the... he would have been so impressed with our IT skills. Yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, that's probably what he he didn't think we had good IT skills, so he's like, yeah. no chance. But we just gonna didn't get a chance to show it off, so. So at this point in your day, you've you've kind of seen, it seems like, left field foul pole, all the way to right field foul pole and everything in between. 
what else is there to do? I'm assuming knowing Petco and seeing everything that they do scoreboard-wise and, and given it is the 21st century, what other cool technological things do they got going on there? Because I'm sure they got something else they showed you, right? Yeah, absolutely. One of the new things this season in the right by the right field entrance, if you can picture it at Petco Park, there's a beer kiosk. I don't know, the kiosk, whatever really to call it, because it's not a a store. It's not a um, concession stand. It's just a little place with beer. And the way it works is you go up there, you show your ID to a person and you scan your credit card and then you go into the room, grab two beers, whichever ones you want, and you walk straight out. And you never actually, you know, scan the beers on a, a barcode or, you know, there's no cashier. You just scan your credit card at the front and take your beers and walk out. And you're, you might be wondering, like, how the heck does that work? Well, right above you in that room are probably 12 or 15 cameras. And they actually can see which beers you picked up and automatically charge your credit card, credit card that you already swiped. And I thought that was fascinating. Ray was uh, pretty proud of that. I'm sure he had a big part in, in developing and implementing that. So um, that was that was pretty cool to see just the kind of how far technology has come that we can use cameras for, for something like ringing up purchases. And um, he said he wanted to take that a step further. He was very big into VR, AR, augmented reality. Um, he said he developed something with Motorola. Uh, he actually showed me this. It was in the in the Padres Hall of Fame, kind of down by the Western Metal Supply Company building. Um, lots of cool stuff in there, by the way. If you haven't checked it out, you should. But um, there's a kind of corner of that room with Padres highlights rolling on there, and you can kind of select which highlights to view. And there's also some kind of goggles. They're not full you know, VR goggles, but they're more just like glasses with some extra stuff on them. And they are AR, augmented reality glasses. And Ray said he partnered with Motorola to develop this little game where you can use these glasses to like shoot baseballs at targets on the uh, on the TVs there. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's like a little thing that he worked on with Motorola, who obviously Motorola is the Padres sponsor this year on their on their jersey got a little Motorola patch on the jerseys this year and also the biggest thing for um in the future the Padres fans might see coming to Petco Park he was very interested in developing virtual reality tickets so that meaning you could buy a ticket and just stay on your couch with your VR goggles and have a full 360 view, just like you're sitting in a seat at the ballpark. You hear everything, see everything, hopefully not smell everything. <laughs> and just basically have the experience of being at the game while you're still at home. And the way that would work is obviously you kind of section off a seat somewhere. You put in a 360 degree camera. And, you know, basically everybody can connect to it, whoever, everybody who bought a ticket. Obviously, there's lots of challenges with this. First of all, you know, you can't just have an unprotected camera sitting in the stands. That wouldn't be good. But secondly, in a more IT sense, it's very hard to, A, have a camera that's full 360 degree view that has good enough resolution to be, you know, an acceptable product. And B, to connect enough people to that camera at once without it buffering, you know, so that you still get good value out of it for the Padres you know Ray was saying how you know how many people can I connect to this can I connect 50 people you know before it starts buffering can I connect 100 people but either way I thought that was a, a really cool thing um, I'm sure he's investing a lot of time into seeing how that would be possible and I think probably in the next two or three years you might see that roll out at Petco Park and probably at other parks around the league as well um yeah, that was a, a cool insight for sure. Wow, that would be quite groundbreaking if something like that came into into this world. And, you know, I think they kind of started 
experimenting with that sort of thing with the NBA when it was in the bubble, but not quite to the extent that it sounds like they want to do here at Petco Park. So I'm sure if that becomes a thing, that'll be a hot topic of discussion and something that'll be really interesting to see how it develops. So so then I guess what next? Are at this point are you close to game time or you still got still got a ways until game? Still got a ways until game time. That tour with uh Ray took only about an hour, a little over an hour, I think. So it's about noon at this point. I got some lunch from Lolita's at the ballpark, classic Padres nice. spot. Uh, I got some rolled tacos. And uh after that I sat in back with Bill, uh, Bill Johnston. I sat in with him at a CR meeting, community relations meeting. He's on the community relations board. Um, that was cool. I got to meet Tom Seidler, brother of Peter Seidler. He looks nothing like his brother, by the way. Very outgoing, very kind of like boisterous, and he doesn't look like him physically either. So that was a, a little interesting, a little kind of took me aback for a second, but a very cool guy. And I got to listen in on the community relations meeting. They were talking about dinner at the Diamond, which was an event that the Padres put on uh, about a month or two ago, I think, where you could bid on a table or you could you could buy a table and have basically just have dinner at the ballpark. And if you spent a certain amount of money, you could have a Padres player sit at the table with you. Um, so that was like obviously a really cool event. They were talking about how much money they made on that, what they could do next year to make it better, uh, who they could have host the event, whether it would be just, you know, Don and Mud or whether they would hire somebody from outside to host it. I voted for Blake Snell as the MC, but I don't know how well they took that idea on. I that's a but, great idea. <laughs> but that was definitely cool just to sit in on a meeting, even if I didn't really know, you know, fully what was going on. And then actually right after that was another meeting with the sponsorship department. So this is the people who basically, you know, make deals with all the sponsorship partners that the Padres have. Everybody from Petco, you know, the naming rights of the ballpark. Toyota is a big sponsor. Saquon Casino is a big sponsor. Um, they were talking about all that kind of stuff. And in this meeting, they were actually focusing on the postseason, which was obviously exciting to hear about. So they were talking about rally towels, that they're going to give out for each round of the postseason that's potentially hosted at Petco Park. So uh, for each round, one of the sponsors is going to have the opportunity to have a rally towel with their logo on it. And obviously, you know, it'll say Go Padres or something like that. I got to see a uh, preliminary version of a rally towel design, which was pretty cool. Uh, and they were also talking about the ticket claiming process for the postseason. Obviously, you know, it's the first time that They've done this in a while. <laughs> Most of the people at, at uh, Petco weren't working there the last time the Padres made the postseason with fans in 2006. But uh, obviously technology's come a long way now, so the the ticket claiming process should be pretty smooth um, with all the online ticketing that's available nowadays. Yeah, that's that's going to be pretty... Pretty incredible to be actually able to do that from a fan perspective, you know, to buy a ticket to a Padre playoff game because I know for you and I, the last time they made the playoffs, we weren't even thinking about that sort of thing. So that's pretty that's pretty exciting to be able to sit in meetings like that and, and you know, kind of hear how their thought processes are when it comes to those sort of things. I'm sure now does does sitting in on these these meetings give you maybe a different perspective next time you see a sponsor or, you know, something like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you always just kind of see the ads everywhere and you don't really think about them, but um, yeah, it's definitely interesting to see the kind of negotiations. Not that I actually saw any negotiations, but you know, just seeing the thought processes behind what the sponsorship team is doing, you know, how they're trying to provide the best, you know, service to their sponsor so that the sponsor you know, re-ups with them and keep sponsoring the Padres. Um, it's definitely interesting to see that dynamic. Um, I did impress them with my knowledge of the Padres outfield wall sponsorships because they were talking about um, a certain company that was that might in the future take over the, the Geico spot on the wall. 
And I said, oh man, that's that Geico sponsorship has been up there in left center for so long now. <laughs> and of course they were like all happy, but I knew where the sponsorship was. Uh, <laughs> so that was a it, cool moment. You know, they should, they should tell Geico that you remembered to see if maybe they'll up their, yes, their yeah. offer. You know what I mean? They use you as a, you an go. arguing point there. <laughs> so you have these meetings, which are obviously really, really cool. And honestly, that's one of the more cooler things I think you got to be able to be a part of, at least in my opinion. But I remember you had mentioned prior to you going to these to this event to me that you thought you might have a chance to partake or at least see uh, how Manny's hot corner went down. D- is that true? Yeah, I was uh, very heavily involved in the Manny's hot corner uh, for that day. So if you don't know, Manny's hot corner is a charity event that Manny Machado and his wife Ana uh, created, and it's helping underserved youth in san diego area and it's uh the basically the experience is they get to come to petco park they get free tickets they get a food voucher a drink voucher and they get to go out to the field and meet manny machado and get their get some stuff signed by him and take pictures with him so that was uh obviously a really cool great thing that he's doing for the community and it was great to be a part of it so um that day on tuesday it was the ronald mcdonald house uh, obviously a big charity in or a big foundation in San Diego with uh, kids battling all sorts of medical issues. Um, so it was great to see Manny step up for them and, and provide this great experience for them. We took him out uh, through the right field tunnel uh, right up next to the field while batting practice was going on. We saw Manny take a few rounds of batting practice. And after that, he came over to the kids. He was great, you know, signed everything, took pictures with them, gave them high fives, um, spent some time with the kids, showed them his gloves, you know, showed them everything. Um, they were all pretty starstruck, of course. Uh, so that was really cool to see. Well, that, that makes me wonder, did you pull a Zach Hample and steal the ball from the little kids? (laughs) No, I did not. I was just there to make sure everything went smoothly. And uh, no, I did not get a ball signed by Manny. Just was there to chaperone and make sure all the kids got to see him, which they did, and they all had a great time. So that was that was an awesome experience for sure. Well, that does sound pretty incredible. Now, with Manny's hot corner, do other players get involved in that, or is it just just Manny? Uh, it's really just Manny. Um, he comes over, does everything with him, gives them the t-shirts, you know, they, there's a pretty cool design. It says Manny's hot corner on it and has the t-shirts, but no, nobody else came over. It's really just his thing. He and his wife created this foundation's charity and uh, yeah, he's seeing it through. Last question I'll ask on this, because I think this is pretty incredible with he, what he does here. Was there any sort of media or cameras around this event? Cause what I've heard is he doesn't want any sort of thing like that. No, there was nothing there. It was just um, a couple of Padres representatives to you know help organize and um an usher to provide water to everybody because it was super hot outside and me who was just uh, shadowing there so yeah no it was no media at all no pictures no aj Casavell, no dennis lynn that is really really cool so then i guess manny's taking batting practice which tells me what about two two and a half hours till game time something along those lines mm-hmm. so what else did you do in those last two hours? Anything significant that you were able to see or, or go by? Yeah, so I was going to take part in the pregame ceremonies. It was a first responders day on Tuesday. But before that, we had some time to kill. So I did a little bit more of a in-detail tour of the offices. Um, I saw several awesome things. Uh, first of all, I saw the design department, the uh, the creative cave is what they call it. Mm. Uh, You might remember from maybe, I don't know, a month or two ago, there was an Instagram post uh, that the Padres made, maybe Twitter as well, where we got to see Blake Snell walk through to the design department and complain that there weren't any designs about him. So yeah, I was standing right in there. I got to see all the cool, you know, walk-off designs, the U Darvish 3000 strikeout design that they were unveiling that night. Um all the great designs that the the people at, at the Padres um, creative team come up with. Um, 
at the time, I think they were working on a, a commercial. Uh, but yeah, it was really cool to talk to those guys. And I actually did get the chance to ask them a question that I had been wondering about for a while uh, concerning the City Connect uniforms. I asked them who basically who designed them. Was it Nike? Was it MLB? Was it the Padres combination? And they said that talks about the City Connect started about two years ago for like preliminary talks. And it was Nike coming to them with an idea. And by idea, I think he means more like, you know, just the, like the kind of general color scheme, uh, the kind of the way that the, uh, the logos would look. And from there, they kind of went back and forth. Nike had their idea of where they wanted it to go. Padres came up with an idea of where they wanted it to go. They kind of met in the middle. And then the Padres design team made the final details, finalized everything, and actually made the jerseys and hats and everything like that. So, yeah, to answer my question that I asked them, it was it was really a combination between Nike and the Padres team. That is really, really interesting. You know, I guess my thought would have been Nike kind of took control of all this sort of thing with all the jerseys because... You know, they're putting their logo on it. They wanted to do it their way, but that's cool that they collabed. And, and I mean, I, I wouldn't say universally, but the Padres one definitely was the most successful financially of all their City Connect jerseys. So I'm sure Nike's pretty satisfied with how that outcome came to be. So then from seeing, you know, these sort of rooms, did that lead you into the, the game, to, or I should say pregame ceremonies? Yeah, there's a few other things I saw, a few other people I met. Uh, I met the Padres social media manager. Uh, she runs the Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, everything, Twitter accounts. So whenever you see a post or a comment, um, it's just one person. She's she's running the Padres accounts. Uh, I told her to to try to I don't know get some good roasts in. Um, she got a good one in with the with the San Francisco Oracle Park lights the other day. Ah, uh, yes. She said we got to start beating the Dodgers and then she can roast people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also saw the uh, the green screen room where the Padres media team does all of the player intros, all the little um, clips that you see on the scoreboards and on uh, Valley Sports. So that was that was pretty interesting. It's a very small room, <laughs> but it's got all the lights that and the green screen, everything there. Um, met a few other people. Um, yeah, and then it was basically time for the pregame ceremonies. So uh, I met back up with Bill and, because he was in charge of the first responder salute being uh, in the community relations department. It was a big pregame ceremony and I actually got to, I, I had a, pr- a printed out schedule of the ceremony and let me tell you, it was down to the second. It was like, all right, at you know six eighteen and twenty five seconds, they start the video, and then it goes until here, and then you know somebody throws out the ceremonial first pitch, and then boom, 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 boom. It was right down the list, super, super precise to make sure that they got everything out of the way. The game started on time. Uh, that was really cool. So I went down to the field. Um, it was a uh, a starting nine night. So that's when there's nine people, uh, in this case, first responders that go out onto the field, one to each position. They have a ball. They get it signed by the player at that position, you know, get their picture taken, handshake and all that sort of stuff. So I grabbed the, the bag with the nine balls and pens for each of the each of the players. That was pretty cool. And yeah, I was I was basically just standing out behind home plate on the dirt with uh, the other media personnel and guests for the for the ceremonies. Uh, it was pretty awesome. There was first responders up and down the first and third base lines. And five uh, first responders of the year, the lifeguard of the year, paramedic of the year, firefighter of the year, policeman of the year, and one other one. Mall cop of the year? Something like that. One of those guys. Um, but those five uh, uh, first responders of the year got plaques and were awarded at home plate with a, with a nice ceremony. Uh, and then there was a nice flyover after the national anthem from a Blackhawk helicopter. 
um, two ceremonial first pitches, and then the U Darvish ceremony, which was cool. Darvish recorded his 3,000th professional strikeout against the Dodgers last weekend. Um, he had, I think, 1,250 in Japan and 1,750 in MLB. Obviously a, a huge milestone. I think he's only the second pitcher to ever have 1,000 strikeouts or more in both leagues. So that was a really cool moment for him. Um, it was, yeah, it was you. It was Peter Seidler, AJ Preller, and Bob Melvin out in front of home plate for that um, little unveiling ceremony. And yeah, then it was it was game time. All right, so game time it was. So let's see. I'm going to take a shot in the dark here and guess that you got pretty good seats. I didn't even get seats. That's how good they were. I got up to the owner's box, uh, which is pretty awesome. So the owner's box at Petco Park is right below the broadcast center, right below the broadcast booths. Those kind of uh, silver area, silver seats right behind home plate on the second deck. That's right in front of the owner's box. So yeah, at that point, my dad arrived because uh, they gave us two tickets. So I sat down with him for the first few innings, but there were lots of cool people there. Randy Jones was there, obviously, former Padres Cy Young Award winner, Padres Hall of Famer. Um, uh, Bill Johnson was, was there, uh, the guy that had been touring me around. And uh, after the first couple of innings, I got uh, kind of surprised when the Padres assistant GM, one of their assistant GMs, Josh Stein, came down to talk to me. And that was the highlight of my day for sure. That is incredible. So Josh Stein comes down specifically to talk to you or just happened to be that he sat by you? No, specifically to talk to me. Bill, I had mentioned to Bill that I would love to talk to somebody from from the baseball ops department. And he went uh, about as high as he can go, right, right, right below AJ Preller. So yeah, that was absolutely awesome. I talked to him for man, it must have been two or three innings. And man, let me tell you, it was just like you know, it's just like talking to you, Logan. Like he's a fan too. Um, he was you know, you know, complaining when some like a ground ball snuck through the infield, or you know. Tim Hill had come on to with like a couple runners on. He said, "All right, Tim, you know, get a ground ball here, something like that." You know, just those little comments. Like, yeah, he's a fan. He he he's totally into the game as well. Uh, but obviously, I wasn't gonna just there to talk about the game with him. I wanted to ask him some questions, tell him about myself, and uh, you know, hopefully, be hired as assistant GM myself right on the spot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Let's see. What did we talk about? Uh, first off, I just kind of introduced myself, um, told him about my physics program at UCSB, the research I'd been doing this summer. Uh, I told him I'd been pitching in the summer ball league. Uh, I told him about my podcast. Let's go. Painting the corners. Let's go, baby. Yeah. So we're famous now. We're, we're big time. Um, <laughs> and he was actually pretty impressed. He said, first of all, he said I had a good voice, which was nice. Um, and then he said, um, he said he, he, that's something we like to see. You know, lots of people tell us that they love baseball. They bonded with baseball. You know, they, you know, bonded with their dad playing catch, stuff like that. But he said, you know, we love to see what you actually do with that. You know, what do you do with your, with your love for baseball? And so he was, he was, he liked that I had started this podcast with Logan and so then I told him about a few other things I'd done uh, with baseball. So I don't think I've talked about this before on here, but after every game that I pitch, I chart all of the pitches that I throw. Um, obviously, this is only possible if I have somebody there to video me. Logan has done this on a couple occasions, um, and usually my dad's there uh, or my mom. But yeah, so I look at the video, my start. I chart every pitch. I try to do it as soon afterwards as possible so I can remember what I was trying to do with each pitch. But I, you know, I record what the batter was, which which handedness, whether it's a lefty or righty, uh, what spot in the order, what pitch I threw, whether I executed it or not. Um, I have like three tiers. Green would be 
I executed the pitch basically right where I wanted to. Yellow is I didn't execute it, but it was still a competitive pitch. So maybe like a ball just off the plate or, you know, oh, maybe my fastball leaked over the plate more than I wanted to. And red is a, a non-executed pitch, a non-competitive pitch. Um, so, yeah, I record all that, make any notes that I want to make. And then I look at, you know, the stats, like maybe I executed more glove side fastballs than arm side fastballs, or maybe I was a lot more effective out of the windup than out of the stretch, stuff like that stuff that I can take away into my next pitching appearance. Um, and I showed, uh, I showed Josh one of those kind of little sheets that I had on my phone and he liked that too. He was, he thought that was cool. Um, and I also showed him my top 10 starting pitcher rankings that Logan and I had worked on uh, this past off season. So you might know that MLB network has a top 10 players right now series that they do every off season uh, where they break down the top 10 position players at every position or sorry, the top 10 players at every position, um, all eight fielding positions, starters and relievers. And so two years ago, actually, was the first year that Logan and I did it. We wanted to make our own lists. So we, you know, pulled up some Excel spreadsheets and did a little amateur number crunching. Uh, and then we did it again this past off season. So I showed Josh um, my my spreadsheet for the that I uh, had come up with, my little algorithm to rank the top 10 starting pitchers. And uh, yeah, he liked that too. He like thought it was awesome that I, you know, invested my time into this. And I think he respected that I, you know, knew what I was talking about. I'm a, a real baseball fan, a real, I, you know, I understand the, the analytics, um, at least to a certain degree that go into this. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was obviously super thrilled at this point. You know, he was treating me like an adult, you know, he, I feel like he, he respected me. So that was definitely just like an awesome, awesome conversation just from the start. Yeah. Isn't that the dream come true in all, a lot of ways. Um, so you're getting to sit with him and kind of you know, brag about yourself and your, your mental capacity when it comes to baseball and how, he probably has talked to a lot of people that claim they know baseball and he's like, Oh yeah, that's great. But when he talked to you, I'm sure there was that different level of, Oh shoot. Like, yeah, this guy actually does know what he's talking about. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I tried to ask, you know, ask great questions as my dad likes to say. Um, I also didn't want to, you know, be too probing or, or, or criticize, criticize the Padres front office too much. But, um, you know, at the same time, he was really easy to talk to because he was upfront about stuff too. Yeah, you know, he was complaining about the offense um, at Petco. You know, he was saying, oh, yeah, we're on a on a bad skid here. Got to get a spark in the dugout. Um, and so at that point, I said to him, I was kind of, you know, hesitantly, didn't want to didn't offend, but I said, you know, at what point, does the manager, does Bob, you know, have his closed door meeting with the players or at what point do the players have their closed door meeting by themselves? And I was expecting, you know, some kind of non-answer like, oh yeah, it's up to the players, up to the manager. You know, we don't really, you know, whatever, whatever they need to do. But no, he, he said, he said, and I quote, I hope it's soon. <laughs> like, I, ho I hope they get on with it soon because, you know, at that point, now we've won a couple of games in a row, but at that point we were coming off a bad loss at home. We were down four or five, nothing at that point in that game. And we had just lost two to the Dodgers. So it wasn't looking too good at that point. Um, and he was, he was upfront about me. He was, he was upfront with me and um, I appreciated that. And then I started asking him more questions. Um, let's see, what else did I ask him? I asked him, this is a good one. I asked him how the Dodgers got so much out of guys like Trace Thompson, um, which, uh, yeah. So he said, he thought about it for a minute. He said, you know, we, we targeted Trace this off season. You might remember the Padres gave him a, 
a minor league contract. And he said, yeah, we, we saw things we liked with his swing, with his approach. And so we gave him the minor league contract and we started him off in AAA. And he said, um, I didn't like when we called him up. And this is, you know, the assistant GM speaking. So he obviously has some, some power. But he said, I didn't like when we called him up because I knew it was going to be a short-term opportunity for him. And he needed to produce right away. But at the same time, he said it was tough to call anybody else up ahead of him because he was dominating at AAA. He was he was really hitting the cover off the ball. Um, so eventually, they made the decision to call him up anyway. And you know, you know the story from there. He went like one for fifteen with the Padres, and then they had to expose him to waivers when the whoever it was was coming back from injury. I think it was Myers with the knee injury. Um, so yeah, then we had to. Expose him to waivers, unfortunately. And the Tigers actually claimed him, not the Dodgers, the Tigers claimed him first. He did not get into a game with them at the major league level. Um, but then they traded him to the Dodgers just for cash considerations. And of course, now with the Dodgers, he's got like an 800, 850 OPS, hitting 270, hitting three run homers against the Padres. And then every time he does that, MLB comments Thompson for three. And then it's very annoying. Yeah, very annoying. Uh, so anyway, I asked him how the Dodgers get so much out of these guys that, you know, other teams can't seemingly do anything with. And he said, well, first of all, I think the Dodgers really have an edge when it comes to major league player development. Um, they really help you. Their coaching staff helps you to eliminate your weaknesses, just kind of minimize your weaknesses as much as possible. And also they put you in positions to succeed. You know, they platoon you when it's possible. They pitch you in the right spots against the right pitchers. Um, and he said another team that does that really well is the Cardinals. Um, we're seeing it with Albert Pujols, who was a guy who, you know, for the last seven, eight years was not a productive hitter with the Angels. But as soon as he goes to the Dodgers and then to the Cardinals, two teams that are really aggressive with platooning him, boom, he's suddenly, you know, really good again. Obviously not in as many at bats, but he's he's on a rate or on a rate basis, he's having really good at bats, better than he has in a decade. Um so I thought that was a, a very interesting point. And so then I kind of follow up question I asked um about the angels, like, man, why, why couldn't they get this out of Pujols? You know, what was their problem? And he brought up the idea of a sunk cost and teams not accepting the sunk cost. Um, and basically what that means is the angels invested 250 million or however much into Pujols. And they just weren't really willing to accept the fact that he was a platoon player. They wanted to run him out there every day and just hope that he got better when really what they should have done was just kind of cut the bait, realize like, hey, this contract isn't going to pay itself off, but we can make it better by just you know playing them against lefties and using other players against righties where they might have better matchups. But they didn't do that because you know they they didn't want to accept that that sunk cost, and so they let him go to the Dodgers, who then you know used him properly and onto the Cardinals. Um, and at that point, again, kind of hesitantly, <laughs> I brought up it's like, uh, so that's kind of like us with Hosmer. And he said, yeah, he said, you know, we're not we're not immune to it either. It's uh, it's a tough sell for ownership and also just for the for the front office, because you invested a lot in this player and you want them to succeed. So um, it's a it's a tough lesson to learn. But I think now that they've gone through this, the Padres front office has gone through this with Hosmer, I think they will probably not make that mistake again. I think they will be more aggressive with platooning guys when they have such extreme splits like Hosmer had. Well, yeah, that's that's pretty incredible too, just the fact that you're able to ask these questions and he responds so openly and honestly because I'm sure that a lot of times you know, guys in his position might give you the runaround like, oh, you know, well, we like Tosmer, yada, yada, yada. But um, that's cool that he gave pretty honest and 
and open answers to you. So at that point, um, have you and him had any further discussion or is, or is that three innings of time with him up and now you're moving back with your dad or does someone else come along? Uh, honestly, it's all kind of a blur. I know we talked about a lot of other stuff. Yeah, one other thing that I do remember asking him, uh, this this came from an earlier question that Bill had asked me uh, about who was my who is the player that I wish we hadn't traded away. Um, not really based on the return that we got for that player, just like who did I wish we we still had. In answer to that question, I said that at the time of the trade, the Fran Mill Reyes trade hurt the most, I think, because he was such a big clubhouse energy and also he was having a pretty good year for us. Uh, but I think the guy that's turned out to be maybe the most valuable so far is Cal Quantrill, uh, who was part of the Clevenger trade back in 2020. And so with that kind of in mind, I asked Josh Stein uh, during this conversation how I asked him, I guess, uh, whether they had kind of seen this coming with Quantrill, whether they had really projected him to be as good as he has been the last few years. Um, and keep in mind that even if they did project this out of him, it was probably still a worthwhile trade at the time because Clevenger was really an ace uh, at that point, a top 10 pitcher in the AL. Uh, where, whereas Quantrill has certainly been valuable, but, but nowhere near at that level. And so I asked uh, Josh this question, and he said, well... Yes and no. He said, we knew Cal really well. We knew he had a starter's makeup. We knew he had a great, you know, mentality, a great personality for starting. He was really into it. He was going to work hard. But we didn't really see this kind of run prevention success that he's had. We really viewed him as more of a number five depth starter. But to this point, he's been more of a three or four. He said, he said, if I have Cal starting my game three of a postseason series, I'm probably feeling a little overmatched. But if I have game four, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, he said, you know, he hesitates to call him really like a true number three because he doesn't strike anybody out. But he's definitely a, a solid number four starter, which is which is a little more than they projected him to be. But he said, again, that he's not really surprised per se because they know he has such a good makeup. And um, they know he's got that dog in him, as the kids say. He didn't say that, but that's what I'm paraphrasing. That's funny. Well, um, that's really interesting about Quantrill there. And, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of times you look at projecting starters and you're like, okay, if, you know, an ace is a guy who has a sub three and, you know, a two is a guy who can flirt with a sub three, you, know, you, you might have these ERA thresholds, and Quantrill's ERA is going to fit more of a two starter, but in reality, there's a lot more that goes into it. And and kind of like you said, if you're on a playoff team, um, there's definitely different qualifications. And I think that's interesting how that they, or at least he, would uh, designate him as more of a four guy. But I would imagine, I mean, there's probably not too many better four guys in the league than Quantrill would be. No, yeah, I mean, he's got a three five five ERA this year. He's 11 and 5, um, which is obviously totally solid. But yeah, Josh said, you know, in the playoffs, you're really, you need to have those overpowering guys, those guys that can strike, strike anybody out at any time. Um, because the playoffs, you know, the tension is just, is just ratcheted up. Any base runners are just, you know, risks. Base runners are, are hugely risky in the playoffs because you know, your entire season could hinge on whether that guy scores from first. Um, so, yeah, that was definitely an interesting little conversation there. I don't know. I'm sure there was a bunch of other stuff we talked about. I was pretty starstruck, going to be honest. Uh, I was just trying to, you know, not appear too nervous and ask some intelligent questions. But um, at the end of that conversation it seemed like i was uh, rewarded for my perseverance because he made me an absolutely amazing offer um he said that you know since i was so interested in this in these you know baseball ops stuff analytics and since he'd seen you know what i'd done with this podcast 
with my my pitching breakdowns with the the stats that I did for the top ten players. Um, he said he really liked that, and he's he offered me an information interview, is what he called it. Not really like a job interview, but he said I would just you know come in one day, sit down with some analytics people from his staff, and basically pick their brains for an hour or two and just talk with them about what it is they do and whether I could see myself doing that in the future um, and what I would need to do to, to get to that point. And that was just mind blowing for me. I'd never in a million years thought he would actually offer me something like that. So that was, yeah, I like just mind blowing for sure. Well, yeah, consider me jealous. That is pretty incredible. Uh, it, that is in a, in a way a dream come true and and even though obviously the the dream would be to be the general manager tomorrow um at this stage in life <laughs> i mean that's pretty incredible and um i'm gonna guess we're gonna have another episode in which we talk about that interview as well yeah no i sure hope so um one other thing that he told me uh just kind of at the end because you know he said you know if you want a, a job in this kind of field, I'll, I'll give you some advice. He said, you know, I, I can see that you're, you're really into this and you're, you've got a good head on your shoulders and you're, you understand this stuff. But, um, because I, I told him that I was a physics major. And so he said, uh, two pieces of advice for you is one, if you can take classes on like kinesiology, baseball, like, you know, basically like how the body works, how the, how you throw a baseball, how you hit a baseball, you can understand that and because he said i know you can understand the analytics parts and if you can if you can learn spanish which kind of caught me off guard but he said if you can do some kinesiology and if you can learn spanish that would make you really good because you know if you can understand what a guy is you know doing wrong how to help him and then if you can explain that to him in his native language that's that's huge that's hugely valuable um and so i'm definitely taking that to heart i'm moving to tijuana tomorrow and i'm taking kinesiology classes <laughs> well great sign me up with you i think i'll be right there <laughs> that is that is pretty uh, interesting advice though because you know i think stereotypically you're thinking okay if i'm going to get into baseball ops i need to be you know good in in math and i you know whether it's finances or or you know accounting whatever math classes i need to take to get my understanding of numbers but i think in reality is a lot of people can probably do numbers not a lot of people can present those um different aspects to put all that together um where it's not just numbers and a lot of times we look at it and we're like oh analytics departments that's numbers 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 but it's seems to me like he's suggesting it's more how can you take those numbers and explain it right rather than i think a lot of the pushback sorry i think a lot of the pushback on analytics and we heard this in joe madden's interview the other day is that it's just it's not the analytics it's how you deploy them and i think a lot especially at first was just front offices coming up with these you know, stats and these numbers and just kind of throwing them at the players and hoping that they would make sense out of them. Whereas now it's like, no, we really, we really have to do a better job of explaining this in a way that they will understand. And like, obviously, whether that's saying it in their native language, um, but more so just kind of breaking it down into, into terms that are more kind of baseball friendly, you know? Yeah, no, totally. That, then that makes a, a, a lot, a lot of sense. Um, well, you tell me, is there anything else you wanted the viewers to hear before we sign off here about your extravagant day? Yeah, um, not much. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, I talked to him for two or three innings in which span the D-backs scored like four runs. Um, so as 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 excited I w- as I was about that conversation, it was still uh, a little depressing because we were losing 5 nothing for the second consecutive night. And uh, the Brewers were also winning which was unfortunate. But then uh, after that, I talked to Bill a little bit more in the owner's box. Um, We talked about a few interesting things about the banning of the shift, 
which actually we're going to need to do another episode on because that just uh, came down the pipeline that MLB will be banning the shift next year along with a couple other rule changes. Uh, but yeah, we I talked with Bill a little bit more. We started coming back. I think it was five to four. And then I sat back down with my dad to watch the last couple innings. And uh, of course, we made that awesome comeback in the ninth. And uh, that was just uh, that just cemented it as the best Padres day in my life. Can't beat that experience combined with a walk off win. No, you sure cannot beat that. And that 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 pretty much had to wrap up an incredible day, like you said. And um, I'm really happy for you that you got to do that and experience that and share it for the viewers as well. Because, like you said, it doesn't get much better than that for people who love the game as much as you and I. So. That is pretty, pretty incredible. Um, well, if that's all you got, Johnny, then let's just give a quick shout-out to the socials. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram at Twitter. Uh, the Instagram is Painting the Corners Pod, and the Twitter is PTC Pod. No, it's not. The Twitter is at the PTC Pod. So please give us a follow there. We'd greatly appreciate it. And without further ado, we will see you soon. Thank you, Johnny, for sharing your experience today. Absolutely. Thank you. See ya.